This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Hi, welcome to today's Pro-America Report. I'm Andrea Kay sitting in today for Ed Martin. Ed is out taking a little time for himself and his family over the holidays, and I'm just honored to be able to to sit in for him here on the Pro-America Report. I'm not the pro that Ed Martin is, but I'm going to give it my best shot. And we've got a couple of great guests for you guys today. We've got Dr. Ted Malik. He's here to discuss his article in American Greatness on gifting. And it's interesting how he's connected the dots between the greatest gift of all kinds Jesus Christ and the socialist and Marxist movements going on. So that'll be very interesting for you to listen. Um, A shocking report will be coming to you guys today from Todd Benzman, and he's here from the he will be here from the Center of Immigration Studies to share what he actually witnessed on the ground in Mexico about how your taxpayers' dollars are being used to fund the immigration crisis at the border. So you're definitely going to want to stay tuned for those amazing interviews coming up. Up a, a little bit later. But first, Ed always gives you guys the wink, right? The what you need to know. First thing you need to know is go follow Ed on Twitter at Eagle Ed. Same on Instagram. And anytime that you tweet, uh, use the hashtag Pro America Report or hashtag PAR in all caps. And let's let's make sure everybody's tuning in to, to Ed's phenomenal show here. Um, so I'm going to give you guys my wink for today, what you need to know. And it's based upon yesterday, Biden gave an address to the nation and entity shot a lot of people because he said there is no federal we it, the address to the nation was on covid and he said there is no federal solution uh, this gets solved at the state level and that's a quote and it's interesting that he said that and by the way this this was planned right this was not an off-the-cuff remark this was not him you know being uh you know asked impromptu as he's walking out of a room or, or going to air force one this was actually him seated it was it was and you know he has to read anything off the script off the prompter uh, so this was planned And it really leads the questions as to why. Why is he saying this specifically and why now? Particularly since in April of 2020, he tweeted, quote, testing is the springboard we need to help get our economy safely up and running again. Trump could rapidly scale up. He hasn't. Instead, he's passed the blame and pushed sole responsibility onto governors. But isn't that what he said yesterday? He said there is no federal solution. This gets solved at the state level. So a lot of people, a lot of conservatives in the media, a lot of people are like, um, wow, um, this is this is so great for Republicans. You know, this is so great for Trump because he's, you know, putting it back at the state level. Uh, he's admitting that he's a failure. He's no plan Joe, which was trending on Twitter. And he's given up and there's memes going around with him, him waving the white flag. And I'm thinking, well, not so fast. Let's, I think we need to really be asking ourselves the question, why? Why is he saying this? Why was this a planned statement typed into a teleprompter? And he's not really we know he's not really the one behind this, uh, behind what's happening in this country, behind policies, behind executive orders, behind any actions or decisions being made. He's just a puppet. Right. So who's pulling the strings on this and why? Why are they putting it back to the states? And is this really the surrender? Is this really something we should be celebrating as conservatives? Especially given the fact that when he says that this gets solved at the state level, it's particularly interesting to really delve into and, and really ponder the why now when we know. That coming up in, I think as soon as January, we know that the Supreme Court is going to be hearing cases, one in particular that has to do with his national mandates. So why would he be saying this now? Because that could be giving cover to you people, to SCOTUS, including people like Amy Coney Barrett, that we think is constantly looking for an excuse with Brett Kavanaugh to give to give the left a win, to cave, 
to the left because they're too scared to step out. They're too scared to take a stand that might have them not look good on the cocktail circuit or in the mainstream media because it's all about perception for them. So why now? A lot of people are saying, well, this is the way it should be. You're giving it back to the states. Well, we've got a lot of stuff happening in the states that many of us out here in, in blue California in New York City right now, as we see police officers dragging people out of restaurants, there's a lot happening at the state level that's not exactly good for us. So why would this be considered a victory? Why would anybody be celebrating Biden now, wanting signaling to give it back to the states? And if we already have this tyranny going on at the state's level, then why make this statement now? But before I start answering those questions, uh, um, is it because, well, I don't know. I can't get inside his head and crawl around. But here's one thing that we know for sure is that he's forced to admit what is true now and was from the beginning. Whatever whatever his intentions are for the states, here's what we do know is behind it. That he is forced to admit when when you're looking, he said that Trump should not be president with the number of deaths under his watch. Well, he's got far more under his. He had said that he wouldn't shut down the economy. He would shut down COVID. He hasn't shut down COVID. So again, before I get into the states, let's think about this for the fact for, for a minute. He's been forced to admit what is true now and was true from the beginning, that it is not the federal government's job to control your health, nor can it. I think that's the most important thing, what we need to know today and really what we needed to remember at the time when all of these mandates, all these shutdowns and all these controls first began. Let me repeat that. The most important thing that we needed to know then and what we certainly need to know today is that it's not the federal government's job to control your health, nor can it. There is not one action a White House, nor Congress, nor the CDC can take to stop you from catching a virus. Viruses spread, people get sick and die. This is not a public health. There is no not, no public health, really. There's individual health, right? No matter what I do in my life, I can't make your immune system operate efe- efficiently and keep you from dying. Nor are we immortal individuals. What is true now and was true in the beginning is that this virus, even in its worst form, was never an equal threat to all of us, yet they continue to push that out. It's always been a threat to the elderly and those with comorbidities. So, but, But again, why now? Is it because his direct mail testing campaign is under criticism? As the medically healthy but mentally ill people suffering under the panic disorder of COVIDism wait in line to get tested? I think it's because there has been success at the local levels. There has been success at the local levels, whether it's involving our businesses, our um, county supervisors, our city officials, whether it's been our school boards and beyond. They have effectively implemented tyranny on the uh, on their citizens of their states. And they're seeing that as the area. Instead of trying to make it happen federally, let's just make it happen at the state level. Let's turn our police departments into, into the Mao's Red Guards at the local level, into the brown shirts. And we saw that happening in New York. Why would, why would Biden and the Democrat Party continue to beat their heads against the wall to try to implement tyranny on a national level when they can just farm it out to the states who, are, who have been doing it so well? With compliance on the part of the American people. It's been working. Thanks to 14 days to flatten the curve, which is going on day, what, 600 and something with mandates and controls over our lives in full effect. There is not one state that's completely free. And the thing that was flattened the most was our culture of individualism and individual liberty. 
I think another thing that what we need to know today is that liberties denied at the state level is still tyranny. This is not to be celebrated that the tyranny that the dictator in chief is trying to turn over more power to the states to enact tyranny on us. And we're supposed to be going, yes, states rights. This is a win. This is not a win for us to say that is to jump on board with the notion that state governments can you deny you your constitutional freedoms. And that's not what our founders intended with the 10th Amendment. That's not what states' rights is supposed to be about. States' rights is not supposed to be about, okay, the federal government can't dictate and take all of, you know, we're, we're, the founders were not like, we're limited government at the federal level where the government can't impose upon your life. But it's cool that it happens at the state level. That's not what our founders intended with the 10th Amendment. And we need to be pushing back against this. Later on in the show, we're going to have what you need to do. And that's when I'm going to give some very specific suggestions as to what we need to do now that we know that the Biden administration is passing the baton of tyranny to the states where there's already too much tyranny taking place at the local level. So stay tuned. Coming up, we've got our first guest with us. Dr. Ted Malik, and he's going to be here to talk about his beautiful, amazing, informative article on American greatness about the gift. Welcome back to the Pro-America Report. I'm Andrea Kay sitting in today for my buddy, Brother Ed Martin, who's out on a little sabbatical, and I'm just honored to be able to fill in for him. Ed, you stay away as long as you want, my dear, because I'm just enjoying myself so much, and I'm particularly excited to be talking to this next guest, Ted Malik. He's CEO of Global Fiduciary Governance, and he's an author of a, of a, a few books, actually. One is the, that many of you have probably read. And it was The Plot to Destroy Trump. I know a lot of you listeners out there have read that one. He's here actually to talk about this beautiful article that he's written on American greatness called The Gift. Hi, Ted Malik. Welcome to Pro-America Report. It's good to be back with you. Thanks for stepping in for Ed. Well, hopefully I'm going to do a good job. Yeah, he's got he's got large Bruno Molly shoes to fill if those are still a hot brand for you fellas to wear. So, (laughs) (laughs) Um, all right, this article, uh, you know, I got to tell you, I wouldn't necessarily see your title here, CEO of a global fiduciary governance organization and think this this is a gentleman who's going to write an article about gifting and, and starting with the greatest gift of all mankind about Jesus and then weave it into a discussion about socialism and communism it was actually beautiful and very heartwarming kick us off i mean you end with talking about um i, I think you said something about in the end the entire world is ordered by the principle of gift but let's start off with the gift of jesus how did that shape the concept of giving and charity uh, well this uh, little piece is part of a larger book i wrote called being generous some years ago. So it, it's a it's a book about the philanthropic act. And I don't think that you can understand that without understanding the roots of Western culture, which, of course, revolve completely around this whole notion of gift as something fundamental to living rightly in the eyes of God. Now, that, that actually tends to be true, I found, as a universal trait amongst all peoples, a kind of common moral urge. But you know, at Christmas, those of us who gaze on the nativity, and I suggested everyone to do this a few days ago, but you should do it all year long. 
you know, we revert to our own tradition in the New Testament and the insights of St. Paul. And um, then you, 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 you see that the world is ordered. It's ordered by a loving God. He demands love from each of us, not toward himself only but towards our neighbors. And, and then we get into the parables and we get into, of course, this wonderful, wonderful story. I would say it's his story, God's story, and that's his giving of his only begotten son in that manger. And it does order the whole way you think, the whole way you act, and your whole notion of giving well, it does, because what's interesting and what I love so much about this article is that um, there's there's so many aspects of giving that are biblically based. I mean, and you talk about in your article, there's no greater gift than to give of one's life for another. And that's what happened with with Jesus. And that's also weaves into, you know, here in the United States of America, uh, giving, uh, you know, the, the giving our men and now women volunteering to go and fight for freedoms around the world and being willing to give up their lives for their fellow man and not even just Americans, but those around the world. But I also love how you talk about gift and gratitude just as a basis of our culture. And it's so important because when you, when somebody gifts you something, you feel so grateful. You feel so touched. It's one of the reasons why on Christmas Day, we don't just celebrate Jesus. We also celebrate, we give gifts to each other. To represent that. And then the feeling we get from that makes us feel so grateful that we're then willing and excited and want to give to others. And that's just the f- people in our lives. But you also talk about in your article about how just it, our, our, and de Tocqueville talked about our culture as Americans and about how um, when we when we've been given, we have a natural tendency to want to give back, whether it's to the colleges and universities that educated us, hospitals that took care of us, those who helped us at a time of need. And that's so important to our culture, and I see it slipping away. Am I wrong? Yes. No, I think we, we do see it slipping away. And, and, of course, if you compare the U.S. with Canada or the U.S. with uh, Europe or the U.S. with Eastern Europe or with Russia, uh, you know, you note that our society is still very different. I would argue largely because of this notion of charity, which is not state action, but action of the individual or the family or the church, and it's still present. So we don't we don't want to give that up. That is the uh, really the definition I would argue of what it means in large part to be an American. Um, so that's why you know I, I wrote this uh, at, at this time of year for people to refocus. Uh, and um, there is a, a very American argument there. I mean, I, I also said you know the very first thing that. Um, that Lenin did when he took over the Soviet Union in 1917 was destroy all the charities. And that's interesting because they, we they pose a threat to the state, and um, and that's why, of course, in socialism, there's there's no such thing as giving. It's interesting because those of us who see the Marxist movement in this country and see the, you know, the war on Christmas and understand that in communist societies, you you know, they like in China, you know, you they, they have to hide their Bible or they can't practice. It's not so much about replacement of God with state. It's really more about replacement of charity because charity comes under the concepts of God, right? And Jesus and gifting. And that's one thing that they have to get rid of out of society. They've got to replace that inter- that personal connection where you 
give to somebody and somebody gives back to you, they've got to get rid of uh, the communal society in the sense of the way we always were as Americans, right? If you were in need, your family took care of you and stepped in. If you're somebody in your church or in your local community, we dealt with things and we, our charity was at a local level, family, church, the local organizations, and the personal connections that that gave to us was astounding. It was so in, in, important to our society and to our culture. That's what they got to get rid of, right? Yes, yes. Uh, and of course, that's why um, these notions, I mean, I, I the very Pauline notions, I call them the economy of the three virtues, theological virtues, faith, open charity, are so either confusing or so dangerous to the rest of the world. Uh, I mean, this this kind of charity, which, of course, uh, in Latin, um, it's called agapic love. Agape is a, is a new kind of love, a love that is brought to the world by Christ. And it's, it's a love that God extends to everyone who knows him. And then we're asked to extend that to one another. And it's... Uh, a beautiful thing. It is beautiful. What's not beautiful, and you talk about it in your article, is the mindset of somebody. See, gifting and gratitude go hand in hand. And when the state's involved, when they've taken out the society that I just described, everything at the local level, friends and family helping each other and church family, and they put the government in the middle of it, they take away the good feelings involved. And they and they create, instead of a sense of gratitude, because you don't people don't realize that there's no such thing as government money. When they get a check from the government, they don't realize it's coming from another human being. So they don't have a sense of gratitude, right? That's right. Right. They have a sense of entitlement. And when you have a sense of entitlement, you're not going to appreciate it. And then you're going to demand more of it. And and we are still separate from Europe and the rest of the world in the sense that we're not where they are. But I feel that slipping a little bit. I feel like um, there is a movement to replace, you know, local charity, you know, with the state, create a sense of entitlement so that people don't have the gratitude of where things are coming from. And I think that's that's how do we get back to making sure that we keep this part of America, the gifting and the charity, how do how do we how do we make sure that that stays so much a part of our culture? Well, that has to do with the larger religious impulse and the nature of belief. So, I think we need to not just at Christmas, but um, in 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 every month and in every day. Frankly, thank God for the gifts he gives us of life. Mm-hmm. So we turn to the religious values that the country was founded on that have meant so much uh, to our uh, forefathers. And we need to pray for that kind of rekindling, that kind of reawakening. Um, because giving is, is not, as I argue, only dispensing money. Um, you know, foundations or NGOs do not give gifts. Uh, you know, this whole notion of gratitude, which we've been talking about, is, is so important. And a society that's joined by that common purpose, in which charity is its true meaning and its ruling principle, is a very unique, and I would argue, a great American society. Talk a little bit about, I think we've got a couple minutes left, uh, one minute left. If you can, I guess, I don't know, if in a minute you can wrap us up what an NGO is mm-hmm. and why that's not the best way for people if they want to give. Well, I mean, you just have to be, uh, you have to scrutinize them. So a non-governmental organization is set up as a 5-1-3 charity. Uh, there are good ones. There are bad ones. There are some that have very high overheads. There are some that are con men. So you really have to do your due mm-hmm. diligence and uh, use all the tools that are available now mm-hmm. to check out, you know, what they do, how they do it, how they pay people, and what actually gets to the end recipient. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them have a very, very, very poor record on that. So mm-hmm. uh, I think that, that that's something that a lot of people make money and they, you know, entrepreneurs, they're very good at making money, but they're not very good at giving money away. Mm-hmm. So I want people to be as good at giving money away as they were at making it in the first place. Great advice. Your your article is absolutely brilliant. People need to go read it, The Gift and American Greatness. And we still are the most charitable uh, um, country on the face of the planet. And even when we're going through our darkest times economically as a nation, we still give, give more and provide more humanitarian aid and philanthropic aid to the world than any other nation, including in its history as young as we are. And so um, thank you for writing this article, reminding us about giving and gifting and charity and also the greatness of America. Thank you so much, Ted Malik. Thank you for having me. All right, now y'all stay tuned because coming up, we're going to shift gears down to uh, the southern border. Um, we're going to be talking to Todd Benzman. He will be here from the Center for Immigration Studies to talk about something he witnessed down in Mexico. Welcome back to the Pro-America Report. I'm Andrea Kay filling in for our buddy Ed Martin, who's out on a little sabbatical. And I hope you're just having a great time taking care of yourself, Ed, and have no fear because we are taking good care of your show while you are away. And I'm glad you guys are listening right now because we've got breaking news coming to us from Todd Benzman, Center for Immigration Studies. Hi, Todd Benzman. Welcome to the Pro-America Report. Thank you so much for having me again. I appreciate it. Okay. Um, well, I appreciate what you're doing. There's not enough actual real journaling going on involving the border and the border crisis down there. Of course, we know that the the border czar herself, closest thing she's done to visiting down there was, I think, a Taco Bell somewhere in, in Oklahoma. Um, but you actually have a brand new article out about Mexico freeing a suspected Yemeni terrorist migrant. Um, tell us what's going on here, Todd Benzman, because my understanding is there's just some good, hardworking people with hammers want to come and do some construction work coming across the border. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'd say that there are those, but uh, certainly there are these other ones also coming over that border. What this story is about uh, is it's based on a, uh, a confidential intelligence document that was shared to to me about a Yemeni terrorist suspect who's on the FBI's watch list, terrorist watch list, as a Category 5 group member, uh, doesn't give a whole lot more detail than that, who fell into the hands of uh, Mexican immigration in July. They hung on to him for about four months, it looks like, and then simply released him on condition that he report back to them weekly on a voluntary honor honorary you know <laughs> system of reporting right and so of course you know he naturally disappears uh headed to the u.s southern border which is uh just uh, in the del rio area of texas and the bolo which is the be on the lookout for document that i have in my possession uh talks about how they believe he was headed to the this is from uh, the first week of this month in December, so I don't have an update on whether they ever caught the guy, but that he was headed this way. And the document was shared throughout the uh, border intelligence communities and with Border Patrol with a picture of, of, the, of the suspect, uh, which is in the story 
that I published at CIS.org. It's up there right now uh, talking all about this. But never let anybody tell you again that people like this aren't among the Spanish-speaking, you know, Latino mm -hmm. migrants that are coming over the border, and, and the vast majority of them, there are people from all over the world who are crossing mm -hmm. that border now. About 30% of everybody who hits that border these days is not from Central America or Mexico. They're from 140 different nations, including Yemen. Wow. And not only are, are they coming here from 140-something nations, but when they're terrorists, they're just released. And nobody's even... And you're telling me that this, this bolo, this be on the lookout, was actually seen by our Border Patrol. So our Border Patrol knew that this dude was out there somewhere did they but i guess they didn't know that until after mexico released him right such good friends of ours right uh now normally and i point this out in my uh my piece that there is very good coordination between the american homeland security and intelligence services and the mexican intelligence services on this issue uh, my book america's covert border war goes into great detail about that relationship and what they do and that apparently broke down in this case. This is the sort of thing that would never, ever happen where the Mexicans just released somebody who is on the FBI's terrorism watch list and not tell the Americans about it or do something else uh, to that, so that it, it provoked a bolo uh, distribution from, with his picture on it, kind of a be on the lookout for this guy. He's headed to the over the border. That's... That's not how things are supposed to work. And to me, that indicates the degree to which the border on uh, control systems on both sides mm -hmm. are collapsing under the weight of this incredible mass migration, this historic mass migration crisis, mm -hmm. that the regular systems are not working the way they're supposed to. Well, even uh, but I got to say, though, I'm still it's still shocking. I get what you're saying. And, and, and in fact, um, you've got another article that you, you published recently about um, taxpayers dollars using to fund illegal immigration and and the extent of that organization and uh, it, it, and efforts going on. Yeah, I get the fact that there's so many down there. It's so massive of a problem that things can slip through the cracks. But for the Mexican officials to release unknown terrorists, though, that to me isn't about, gee, we just got so many people here we, we, we to, to deal with. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm disturbed by that. It seems intentional. Well, I'll tell you what is supposed to happen, what should have happened. And it, there's a little bit more to the story. It's that this particular Yemeni migrant was apprehended the first time in April. And the Mexicans uh, deported him. I'm not sure where they deported him to, but they... They, they deported him out of the country backwards, but he showed up again in July. He came back. Now, the, what should have happened again is maybe another deportation or, uh, as typically happens in these cases, they will hand off a jihadist migrant at an international bridge. They walk him across. The two intelligence uh, officers from both countries meet pass the guy over, and then the Americans take custody. Neither deportation nor a handoff happened in this case. Uh, so that suggests that, you know, there is definitely more to the story. And mm -hmm. in my piece today, I 
call for a congressional uh, investigation of this. I think this is definitely one of those uh, circumstances that warrants uh, fact finding and also about, you know, just what happened and also um, offices of inspector general of the American agencies that would have been involved in the ICE and FBI about what the heck happened here. And I hope they catch the guy. I hope they've already caught the guy and that we don't have anything to worry about. But I can't get any information right now about you know the status of this, this guy. And why would one, let me ask you this, uh, Todd Benzman from Center for Immigration Studies, um, if, why would this one guy come here solo? Are we to not assume that if he was, if he was making his way through Mexico and coming here a, a second time, he was determined to get here, right? And he had, and he had the cash yeah. to try to get here. Are we to not assume yes. that, th- that there's not other people involved here, that this is not a part of some kind of organized uh, terrorist movement here? Well, that's a great question. And the Border Patrol chief of the Yuma sector in Arizona on December 20th sent a tweet out announcing that they had apprehended a Saudi terrorist suspect in the Yuma area just a few days ago. I mean, this was just, a, a you know, on, on December 20th. And uh, in the tweet announcement, the chief said that that suspect had ties to known Yemeni Mm. migrants of interest. Mm -hmm. And it so happens that we've seen quite a few Yemeni uh, terrorism watch listed uh, suspects cross the southern border this year. Mm -hmm. We had one in Calexico, California in January uh, apprehended and another one in March, also in Calexico, California, who was not only on the FBI's terrorism watch list, but also on the no-fly list, which is a much more rarefied, higher threshold to get on. And that one was hiding a SIM card, a cell phone SIM card in the sole of his boot. Uh, And the the issue here is that if you've got one who has been freed and is kind of roaming around and got away, we don't really know what the – whether there there is some sort of orchestrated plot going on here. It, It well, certainly looks like there's a lot of intelligence out there suggesting connectivity. Right. And and if only we had an FBI that was as focused on uh, stopping terror, uh, Islamic terrorists from around the world coming here and wanting to do us harm as they are and trying to stop parents from going to speak up at school board meetings and trying to declare anybody who was roaming around the Capitol on January 6th as a terrorist, uh, then maybe we might be able to have some answers to these questions. At least you're on it. Uh, tell everybody how they can read this article and share it. Sure. Peace is up at CIS.org. Uh, it's at the top of the uh, blog postings today. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter, Benzman Todd at Twitter, and also T. Benzman at Getter. And my book is America's Covert Border War, which is all about this kind of migration and this kind of migrant and what America does about people like this. Well, thank you for your work. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. God bless. And and I'm sure uh, you'll be back on to follow up on these stories with us. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Now stay tuned because coming up, we've got the What You Need to Do segment on its way. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily broadcast from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, a national volunteer organization founded by Phyllis Schlafly 
and continuing to uphold her legacy by honoring family values, opposing radical feminism, and representing a conservative perspective in our nation's capital. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. As we continue talking about 2022 New Year's resolutions that every conservative activist should consider, I'd like to give a word today on publishing op-eds in your local newspaper. You might be skeptical that publishing your views would really make a difference, but don't underestimate the power of an op-ed. You can get a lot more mileage out of a well-written op-ed than you will ever get from an angry post on social media. The people who see your activity on social media are likely made up mostly of your friends and relatives who either believe like you do or at least already know your beliefs. An op-ed will catch the attention of others far outside your personal sphere of influence. When writing an op-ed, the first thing to do is to research the specific requirements of your local paper. If you make your writing too long, too short, or submit it in the wrong format, the editor will probably never bother to read it. If something isn't clear, call the editor to ask for a clarification. Once you understand the rules, you must pick the right topic. The news cycle moves fast, so make sure the issue you want to cover is current. If you have a personal expertise related to the topic, that's a big bonus, but it's not required. Always remember who you are writing to. The people who read your op-ed won't all be conservatives, so write in such a way that you appeal to the values that the left-leaning audience often embrace. Creating a powerful emotional appeal is often very effective. Also remember that your readers probably won't be subject matter experts, so avoid technical jargon as much as you can. Remember this, every writer experiences rejection all the time. If your first op-ed doesn't get picked up on the first go, don't stop trying. Persevere. Approach another paper or try submitting something new. Op-eds really are a great way to make a persuasive appeal to a larger number of people in your community and to do it all at once. In 2022, make it your New Year's resolution to submit and publish your own op-ed. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. The hypocrisy and lies of the liberal media are alarming and even incite public unrest. But the fake news and the commentators whose slant coverage are finally being exposed. At phyllisschlafly.com, we promise to provide timely alerts and take effective action on your behalf. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back to Pro-America Report. I'm Andrea Kay filling in for Ed Martin. So at the top of the show, we gave you all the wink, right? The what you need to know. And it was about Biden uh, declaring to to the chagrin of the Democrats and, and to the praise of many Republicans that d- Joe Biden declared that the federal government can't do anything to stop COVID and he's given it back to the states. And my analysis was what you need to know there is that, first of all, the federal government never had the ability to stop a virus from spreading. And the second thing I felt that you needed to know about this is there is not a benign reason for why the Biden administration would be wanting to hand over the problem of of coronavirus to the states. It's because that's where a whole lot of tyranny is happening right now. Many people are absolutely shocked and dismayed at the New York Police Department dragging families out of Burger King on Saturday night, including children.
We know we uh, uh, we don't need to waste y'all's time talking about the Calif- the tyranny going on here with Mussolini. So what do you need to do then? If you're sitting in a Democrat state or even a supposed red state, and you know now that we've already got a problem with these mandates going on at the state level, there's no intention of anybody at these state level, these these whether it's county supervisors, city councils, governors like Newsom, and even Abbott in Texas, who's gotten a lot of criticism. What do you need to do? Well, here's what you need to do. As uh, The one good thing that I think comes out of this is it's a reminder, I think, that so much of uh, the true impact on the part of elected officials on our lives is actually at the local level, whether it's at the school board or whether it's who's your sheriff or whether it's who's running the police department. It's actually at the local level. And here's the good news for you in that there's something you can actually do about it. Right. You can get involved at the local level. It's time for us to get involved. I've been saying this on my own show. We've got to stop. The the time for us to just be complaining is over. The time for people to say, you know what, maybe if I comply, I'll get my freedoms back. Or the sooner I comply, I'll get my freedoms back. That's never happened. It's not going to happen. On the heels of Biden saying the problem needs to be solved at the state, you still got Fauci saying he wants he wants masks forever on airlines, and now he's pushing for shot mandates on airlines. There was never a plan for you to ever get your freedoms back. And we and, and Scott Atlas said it correctly. He said, there is no white knight on a horse coming to rescue you. We have to do it ourselves, and we have to do it at the local level. There's so many ways that you could go about getting involved. I'm just going to give you a few suggestions, and then you just got to get out there. We Here in San Diego, uh, there's an amazing local grassroots organization that just started up by a mom, right? It's called Reopen San Diego. It's huge now in San Diego, has had a lot of success. When Mussolini came out with his new mass mandate, she immediately got over 100 businesses to declare that they will not comply with those mandates. And when that's across a large county like San Diego, that makes it harder for the enforcement officials like what you saw in New York City to do what they were going to do. If you don't have a reopen, if you've got an organization like this in your local level, go get involved. Go to a rally with them. If you're a business in the area, you've got something like this, you know, get up, become a part of that. Or if you're a business, you could put up a sign like we have here from Reopen San Diego. My business will not discriminate against those on the basis of whether or not they're wearing a mask or whether or not they've gotten a shot. That's one suggestion. Uh, go to school board meetings. We know now we can look back that this is not a disease. Children don't get it or give it. But this, but the schools were and children were used and the schools were shut down as an effective tool. So we need to be going to school board meetings. Even if you don't have a child, this affects you greatly. By shutting down the schools, they were able to get businesses to shut down because somebody had to stay home with the kids, right? There's so many different ways in which these schools have been used to not just churn out little socialists for the states, but also as a way to uh, to enact tyranny on the part of COVID. And if you have children, if there's any way in these public schools, if there's any way you can afford to take them out, you need to. Because one of the things that happened with these school shutdowns is that so many private schools ended up out of business. And we need to do what we can to get them back up and running. This is the year of the midterms, right? And if you can, you need to run for office. And I don't care whether it is about um, the local water board, whatever city council, mayor of whatever small town you're in, you need to run for office if you can. That's really where we take our power back by by us Those of us who value our freedoms, who truly want to put America first and make America great again, we need to do it ourselves and not just rely on whether or not Trump's going to get back in office, not rely on the Mitch McConnell's and those that have continued to betray us over and over. And if you're if you're not going to run for office, pay attention to who is and not just the congressional races. Right. That's all anybody pays attention to. Who's running for sheriff? Who's your police chief? Who's your D.A.? Who's your D.A.? That George Soros has had such an effect on our society 
by funding these district attorney races that nobody's paying attention to. Um, we need to be demanding testing for natural immunity. We need to be demanding that of our government at all levels. We need to support doctors in our area that are prescribing and treating with therapeutics. We need to be careful where we give our money for campaign races. We need to be demanding. We need to not be voting for somebody or offering a vote to somebody just because they've got a certain letter after their name. We need to be knowing exactly what they stand for and exactly what their plans are if we want individual liberty and individual freedom. And we need to pledge from them in specifics as to what they're going to do. And most importantly, nothing matters if elections don't matter. We can't change the fact that we still have laws in the books and we still have mechanisms in place to steal our votes, but we can actually get out there and get active. We can be working polls. We can be driving people to vote. We can be poll watchers. If there's ballot harvesting that's legal in your area, you can actually get involved. What do you need to do is get involved any way, any place, any opportunity that you have. Hey, I've gotten involved tonight and in filling in for Ed Martin, and I've enjoyed it so much. I haven't had a chance to say hi to him. Uh, our technical director, Noah, say hi to the people. Say hi to Ed. Hello, fine people. Yes. Ed, take your time. You're, it's, it's well at hand here. Yes, it is well at hand. I mean, there, I, I'm the crack team that put, puts on the Pro-America Report every day is still behind the scenes, so y'all don't have to worry. <laughs> if it was just up to AK here, it might not happen. Um, but I'm so grateful to you guys. Thank you to Joanna, producer Joanna. Thank you to our great guest. And we're going to be back tomorrow with what you need to know and continue the discussion on what you need to do. And we'd love to hear from you guys. Follow Ed on Twitter at Eagle ed and keep the conversation rolling there and let's also remember to support the guests that have been on the show from ted malik today and todd benzman and and support their work because those were some really brilliant dudes today anything that you want to add on the what you need to do yeah what you can do always is go to proamericareport.com all of ed's past interviews are at proamericareport.com hey if you miss a live show that's the place to go all right and we're going to end on that rhyme that was fabulous This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego.